Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited today because Taylor Swift has been named Times Person of the Year, and there is a phenomenal article that just came out about that. So I'm going to dig into some of my thoughts, the article, and just some of the things that have been going on with Taylor Swift recently, I think are really worthy of a psychoanalytical discussion about us, and it's making me think about my life, and I hope that this conversation makes you think more things about your life as well. I also want to touch on an article that came out in the Wall Street Journal about David Hollis, and I think that that ties some of these things together. So let's get into it. You're listening to the Recoveredish Podcast. I'm your host, licensed therapist, Amanda E. White. So Taylor Swift has been named Time Person of the Year. As the article pretty much squarely implies, to me, Taylor Swift was the person of the year. I mean, I have been a Swifty for a long time, and never in my life have I seen the level of fandom, the level of interest, the level of reporting, the level of people knowing what's going on that used to be reserved for the depths of her fandom is now public knowledge. And I'm going to talk a lot about Taylor Swift in this episode, and I also want to just say Beyonce also is incredible, had an incredible tour this year, had an incredible movie come out. Taylor clearly supports her, but I am not as avid of a fan or as deep into the the lore of Beyonce, so I cannot speak in the same way about Beyonce as Taylor Swift. So that is why I'm focusing on Taylor Swift. And I think in some ways Taylor Swift does give people more fodder sometimes to talk about. I mean, she's not a mom, but I just wanted to make note of that because this year is not lost on me that there were positions that opened up for both Taylor Swift reporters and also a Beyonce reporter. I relate to Taylor so much personally, and I think what is so cool as we back up and look at her career, look at where she is, and look at how she got here It is just to me an incredible example of endurance and really what was highlighted in the article was how no matter what happens in her life, no matter if public perception is up or down or good or bad, her secret sauce has been to just put her head down and focus on her art and making music through it all. And I think that is such a lesson, not that I am an artist or we are all artists or we can all do that. But I really started to think about this podcast as I talk about things that may be shallow on the surface, like pop culture, like the Barbie movie, like what's happening on TikTok or in the depths of the internet or things like that. So it can seem like these shallow, unimportant topics. But I actually think they're really deep and important because they're not just talking about that topic. I don't care about the gossip or the fodder or who's mad at who or whatever. I care about what it means about us as a society, psychologically, and also how this news impacts us. Because pop culture reveals things about where we are as a society. I was talking last night on Instagram about how I think it's worth noting that The Golden Bachelor was made in 2023. Apparently, people said that it had been in the works for a few years 
But I'll tell you one thing, it would not have been made in the 90s or 2000s or something like that. It needed to be made around this time. And that means something about our culture that it was able to be made this year. Just like I think it means something about our culture that Taylor Swift at age 33 is able to be where she is. Do I think she's incredibly unique, has worked for it, has changed the game to be able to make this happen? Yes. And I also think that it reveals things about us as a culture that we are accepting and loving a pop star who is 33 because that didn't happen before. If I look back at the 2000s, and Taylor touches on this in the article, it was about pop stars were just teen girls. It was the Nickelodeon Disney you know, pipeline. It was the Britney Spears. And they were thrown into the fire without a lot of media training or support. They weren't given control over their careers. And it was a bunch of people in suits behind a box kind of pulling the strings. Some had more control than others. But it was throwing people into the fire and saying, let's see what happens. There wasn't space in our society for a woman to be a teen pop star or be a teen artist and be able to maintain a level of fame and control over her career in the same way that exists now. And I think that's worthy to note and worthy to unpack. So shallow topics deep thoughts. And I think the piece that Time Magazine wrote is so interesting about how Taylor has been able to navigate all of these different things that she's gone through. And because she has kept her head down and continued to put out amazing work and focus on the work instead of getting caught up in people's opinions as much, I think she definitely has been in the past. And she kind of touches on that. This is one of the biggest quotes that stuck with me. She said, I've been raised up and down the flagpole of public opinion so many times in the last 20 years. I've been given a tiara, then had it taken away. It feels like a breakthrough moment of my career happening at 33. And for the first time in my life, I was mentally tough enough to take what comes with that. And then she says, by the time an artist is mature enough to psychologically deal with the job, they throw you out at 29 typically. In the 90s and 2000s, it seems like the music industry just said, okay, let's take a bunch of teenagers, throw them in a fire, and watch what happens. By the time they've accumulated enough wisdom to do their job effectively, we'll find new teenagers. So she says, the one thing that I've learned, my response to anything that happens, good or bad, is to keep making things, keep making art. So much I think about as someone who is very chronically online, as someone who is quote unquote an influencer, even though I very much struggle to identify as an influencer because I'm not really an influencer. I don't get paid to be on Instagram. I don't take advertisers in the traditional sense or anything like that. I am just someone who's trying to educate, talk about therapy, share about my therapy practice influence you maybe to read my book or to think about something differently or listen to this podcast. But I am someone who's also extremely sensitive, worries about what people think of me so much, and is still working out the kinks of being a people pleaser. And one thing I've been really trying to do this year is take on this kind of final frontier. Last year was a horrible year for me in terms of I was so sick with my child. And then I came back to Instagram a year later and I was faced with this question of how do I be online? How do I be on Instagram in a way that works for me? Because I knew what my life felt like when I was away from it. And it was better compared to 
reading all of the negative comments about myself. And one thing I think people don't realize is when you are someone whose work is very chronically online or part of your work is sharing about yourself, you are not often given critique about your work. People don't tell me, I don't like your book, Amanda, or I don't like this post you made. What people typically tell me is that they don't like me. They will send me DMs or write comments and say, I'm a bad person. I'm stupid. I talk about shallow things. I am trying to force people to stop drinking. I whatever, fill in the blank. It is not separated in that way. And that is one of these weird things about as we are all more online. And that's why I think it actually is interesting for me to talk to you about because I don't think this is just me. I think more and more as we spend more time online, as our professional lives become more personal, as we're showing up and bringing ourselves to work more, there is less of a distinction between who we are and our work or our work self and our private life. And we're more likely as a result to get feedback that is more personal about us. When I run my therapy practice, it is really hard for me to tease those two things apart. And one thing I've spent an incredible amount of time doing over the past few years, which has not bode well for my self-esteem or my mental health, is trying to make every single person that I interact with like me or trying to make every single person that sees my stuff online not be offended by it. And I can spend hours and hours obsessing about it and twisting myself into knots, trying to make sure that I say the exact right thing. And it's why sometimes on this podcast, I get tripped up and you've heard me say a million caveats, which I do still think is important because I am always going to be an advocate for the gray space, the nuance, the in-between, because I think it is so dramatically missing and caveats allow us to be able to do that. And at the same time, if I or any of us spend so much time trying to caveat everything to make sure that we're perfect, it becomes another way that we're people-pleasing. It becomes another way that we're engaging in perfectionism. And a lot of us, especially women, already have a tendency towards perfectionism or people-pleasing. And I can't show up as the therapist I want to be or the podcast host that I want to be or the writer I want to be, the leader in the practice that I run. If I get so caught up in every single minute small detail, instead what I really have to do is back up and look at themes as a whole because I will spend all of my time chasing my tail if I just try to micromanage if everyone likes me and if everyone agrees with me. It is not possible to have no negative feedback in your life. It is not possible to make everyone happy. And I know this is not a breakthrough thing to say. I've probably said this before on my podcast, but I think what's really interesting about growth and learning is as we unravel these layers of life, and it's why, as an aside, I'm also so passionate about continuing my career into my 30s and the rest of my life and more women, I think, in general, having kids and continuing with their careers or continuing with their life as they get older compared to the old adage of women turn 30 and are thrown away or women have kids and are not considered to have important ideas and are kind of removed from conversations. More than ever, I care about people who are older than me and what they have to say. Because the older I get, the more I realize 
yes, of course, there is the okay boomer aspect of things where it is easy to write off people that aren't in your generation because they don't understand things and they don't maybe understand the internet in the same way that you do or these specific technologies that we've grown up with that other people haven't. But a lot of wisdom is hard-earned. A lot of wisdom can only be learned by experience and failure. And I'm interested more than ever in learning about other people's experience and failures and how they have gotten more self-assured and confident over the years. And I've had many times throughout my career, especially in the last year, where I have said to myself, maybe I am just not built for this. Maybe I'm not built to be someone who is public-facing. Maybe I am not built to have a business. Maybe I am not built to be online and have people have access to saying negative things about me 24-7 because I just get so physically sometimes sick over it. And what I am very inspired by with this article, and it's not just Taylor Swift who's been exploring this, but I'm using her as an example in this podcast, is how do we, right, if the internet does exist, if some of us even more increasingly are online, are living in this world of information overload, which our brains, by the way, were not created to withstand. I did a lot of research in my book about evolutionary psychology and how our brains were developed. And we did not evolve to be in touch with billions of people's opinions about ourselves. It is not healthy for us. And how do we live in a world that essentially does give us access to that though? And when I look at famous people and how it negatively impacts them, when I look at celebrities that have died and committed suicide, and when I look at who has been able to navigate being online and being someone who gets a lot of negative feedback and not taking it personally, I think the people that are able to do it well are extremely inspiring and they have lessons for us to learn. Because I don't want to just stop making a podcast. I don't want to just slink away. And some people have every right to do that. Some people decide this is not worth it for me. I don't want to participate in this. I think it is so underrated to do what you want and make decisions that are hard, that are what's best for you. But in my heart of hearts, slinking away when things are hard is not what I want to do. It is not what lights me up. What lights me up is having these individual conversations with you, even when I have to navigate having hard feedback with people, even when I don't remember the positive things people say to me sometimes and I'm really overly left with the negative things. And I've tried to really be in this inquiry this year of how do I hold both? How do I deal with this? It's something that I talked with Jamie Varen a lot on the podcast about this year. And if you didn't listen to that episode, it is such a great one. It came out in September. And what I keep coming back to over and over again is that I cannot control what individual people say about me. I cannot make everyone happy. All I can try to do is identify my values and take action that is aligned with those. All I can do is put my head down and do what I do best regardless of what is going on with my life. And that doesn't mean putting my head in the sand, not taking feedback, but it also means creating filters in my life so that I am not overly exposed to every single negative thing that someone says about me and not trying to bend over backwards to make everyone happy that I lose myself in the process. If all this talk about people-pleasing is having you think, I actually could really use some extra support with this and I'm relating to this a lot, my practice, Therapy for Women Center, is a great resource. 
Often a therapist can actually get into the level of understanding why you people please so different than just listening to a podcast or even reading a book. The reasons why we all people please can be really unique and different to each of us, and having that individual level of support can make such a difference. My practice, Therapy for Women Center, has therapists across the country in 20 plus states. We also have three local offices in the Philadelphia area if you're interested. And now is a great time to get in right before the January rush. To learn more, visit therapyforwomencenter.com. In some ways, I really feel like I have been getting to a new level of working through my people-pleasing. So in the past few years, as I've been online and, and when you have a business and things like that, I have been really left with the idea of I don't want to be someone who just anyone gives me a negative piece of feedback on Instagram and I block them or something like that. Someone who works for me doesn't like something that I'm doing or there are people on the internet that say negative things about me. It is impossible to 100% block all negativity. And I also don't think it's healthy because I do think we need to be able to assess trends and understand things. So I have been left with maybe I am just not built to be able to do this. Maybe my mental health can't take it and I should just slink away and not do this job anymore. And instead, what I think I've been realizing and what this article really solidifies for me is I can't make everyone happy. I also can't remove myself from the negativity. What I do need are filters and not everything needs to come to me directly. And just because I hear something that someone doesn't like doesn't mean it is my job to fix it. And I think about if Taylor Swift were to spend all of her time and energy looking on forums where people say things like, they didn't like that this song was too short or, you know, the stadium they went to, the soda was too expensive or the lines were too long in the bathrooms or the merch was fading or some of these smaller level things. If she worried about every single detail and don't get me wrong, I think she has probably. And I also think that some of her worries about smaller details and some of the groundwork she laid earlier in her career did make a better experience. But not everything is within our control either. And I am not able to control people's mental states and whether they are enjoying my content or not on a daily basis. I can't prevent them from having a bad day and saying something negative to me. All I can do is focus on what I do best and really lean into the people who do want to be here, who do want to listen to the podcast, who do care about what I have to say or think that I'm bringing some sort of value to them. And the really big kicker for me is if I spend all my time trying to chase down and individually micromanage people's happiness and like of me and them liking me, I will not have the time or energy to do this. I will spend all my time doing that. And that is, I think, the secret. That is what Taylor Swift's secret sauce has become, is that no matter what happens to her, she puts her head down and does work and makes music and pushes forward. And not only does that make her more fulfilled and then more inspired and connected to her craft, but it also keeps her in a much better place because she is not spinning around in circles. And this leads me to Dave Hollis. And there was a really devastating, sad article that came out about David Hollis and his death. It turns out that he does seem to have had addiction issues that in part led to that. And the article essentially talks about, you know, his ascent, how he left Disney, how he joined Rachel Hollis. 
He wrote books and he helped her create this self-help empire. If you've been here a bit, you probably know that I'm not the biggest fan of Dave Hollis. I'm not the biggest fan of the self-help industry in general, especially the self-help gurus or people who are not licensed, don't have any mental health training that are promising to change people's lives or they're especially using themselves as evidence of if I did this, you can do this too. That sentiment can be really harmful because as a therapist, one of the biggest things I look at is trends and data and research and how things impact people across the board rather than if you are just using yourself as the guinea pig, as the inspiration, you are only talking about one data point out of billions of people. You're also probably not recognizing your individual privileges and things you have access to, which may make it possible for you to say, get up at 4 a.m. or run a huge business while having five children or any of those other things. But I digress. I think the article was really poignant in talking about – I mean, it's it's a very devastating article. Highly recommend reading it. It is behind a paywall, but you can register for a free account. I am not a very avid Wall Street Journal reader, though they did have an article about Travis Kelsey. So this is the second time in a few months I've wanted to read some stuff from them. It talks about just how he kind of spiraled into being obsessed with critics, obsessed with haters, spent a lot of time on Reddit just talking about all of the things that people said, trying to make them happy, and how that really led to his downfall, led to his exasperated issues with addiction and all kinds of things like that. And I think that is just such a poignant reminder. I mean, it's devastating. They essentially found him dead with his phone on his chest, which is the metaphor of all metaphors if we're talking about how social media can be so unhealthy, how social media, fame, public perception can really drive people insane and how our brains aren't wired for this. But if we think about how much time he spent on that, which I can't even imagine if people had Reddit threads about me, I don't know how I wouldn't read them. I am a bit of a masochist when it comes to book reviews and things like that. And it is so hard for me not to. I think I'm getting better, but it is a skill that is really hard. And as someone who is curious and nosy and likes to know all the details of things, it seems insane to give the advice to someone to just not be nosy about what people are saying about you. But I get the advice because the more time you spend digging and trying to figure things out and worrying about what other people are saying about you that's negative, the less time, energy, and creativity you have to be building something. You can either spend your time reacting to what other people are saying and trying to fight about it, or you can spend your time building something new and maybe the people who don't like you will turn around or maybe they won't and instead you'll reach more people who you are the right audience for. And that's what my big thing kind of going into 2024 has been. And it's why I was just so struck by this article from Time Magazine because it just wraps up everything that I've been working on personally and professionally. And I think it's relatable to a lot of individuals, especially people as we are navigating this very hyper online world. And it's something that I really relate to personally and professionally. And I have talked to a lot of you all about 
how do you not be a people pleaser anymore? And while this may not be your exact scenario, I think it applies across the board. I think that there may be people in your life who don't like you. There may be people at work who you have to stay connected to who don't like you. Maybe you are a boss or something like that and you're in a similar position to me where you get negative feedback and there isn't much that you can do about it. And I have just for a lot of my life thought, well, it's just who I am. I am just born this way. I am sensitive. I am a peach who bruises easily. I am not cut out for certain things. And instead, what I've been trying to think about is maybe that is all true, but how can I work and cope with who I am naturally and also not lose touch with my humanity? And this is what I've come to right now at least because I've always struggled when people are just like, don't give an F what people think. People, you just got to write off any critics and haters because I don't think that's true. People do have valuable, important input to give us and it is important. And I don't ever want to be someone that just is disconnected and head down, doesn't know what's going on on social media with people that follow me, with people that listen to my podcast or things like that. I don't think it's healthy to be in an echo chamber of just people that say positive things about you. I think that can be really dangerous. But I've also been trying to figure out it feels like there isn't nuance. It feels like people either say block out all the haters or listen to everything everyone says. And now what I've been trying to do is carve out this middle ground, this space between recognizing that I need to have filters between what people say to me and just being in a constant feedback loop, but also be connected enough and plugged in that I can hear trends, I can understand what's going on, but recognize that I can't fix everything personally. I can't solve all the problems. We're all systems within systems and we only have control over a certain amount of things. And that's where it comes back to for me, controlling what you can control. I can't control whether everyone likes my podcast. That is impossible. What I can control, though, is doing the absolute best job I can with the time that I have in terms of putting out a good podcast for you all, using my time wisely online, having meaningful interactions and conversations with those of you all that are interested in that. That's the realm of my control. And I think a good lesson or piece of therapy homework is think about what you can control and focus on that and spend way more of your time focusing on what you can control and influence and less time with what you cannot control and influence because we can waste hours and hours, years and years, tons of time, and in the process, then we neglect the things we can influence and control. The other thing I want to talk about is how people-pleasing is often a skill. It also can be a trauma response and something that you do as a way to survive, especially if you started out by people-pleasing your parents. But there is also a trait in us that the same way some people are more naturally outgoing or not called agreeableness. And we know based on studies that people who are more agreeable are also much more likely to be people pleasers because that doesn't just mean that you are more influenced. It means that also you are just more able to agree with someone. You may have less strong opinions. You may be someone who goes with the flow more so it's not worth you saying no. I think of the classic example of if you're going out to dinner with someone and a friend who is really opinionated about the restaurant they want to go to, if you're more agreeable, it's not worth it for you to say that you don't want to go to an American restaurant and you'd rather go to a Chinese restaurant. So just because you're not extremely opinionated doesn't necessarily mean that it's a problem. 
People-pleasing becomes a problem when you cannot identify your own needs or it's impeding your life in some way, where you feel like especially you cannot say no and you say yes or put yourself out or do things that are against your values or you're afraid to have hard conversations. So much of working through people-pleasing is recognizing that you need to actually develop your tolerance to sit in discomfort because saying no or having a disagreement or having even a conflict with someone, especially for those of us that grew up in situations where healthy conflict wasn't modeled, whether your parents or your caregivers engaged in unhealthy conflict or you just never saw it, a lot of times caregivers maybe had a rule or an idea that they should never fight or disagree in front of their kids. So you never saw two people healthily work through a disagreement. This can make you afraid of conflict. And also according to studies, because of the internet and technologies and the instant gratification that sometimes comes with that or the ability to write, text someone and have a hard conversation instead of maybe having that in person, we've seen over the past few years that generations have been getting more conflict averse and don't have the same skills to deal with the discomfort of conflict. And make no mistake, for most people, conflict is uncomfortable. The good news is that you can practice. It is a skill that you can refine and you can learn over time. One thing that I often tell my clients who are struggling with this is I want you to practice saying no. And there's a particular kind of no. I don't want you to say no if you don't really care about something and it is an easy no to give. I want you to practice standing up and saying no in moments where you actually do not want to do something or want to express an opinion where you don't want to do something. An example of this could be if you are the friend that someone always asks for favors for and it's actually not okay with you and you don't want to have that favor. Or if someone asks, is it okay if we switch this or I push this back? Saying something like, we can do that, but I just want you to know that it really has a negative impact on me when you're constantly rescheduling our friend dates, for example. Using your voice and speaking up and having that uncomfortable conversation. So maybe set the goal for yourself that you'll say no or have five uncomfortable conversations over the next few weeks and see how that goes. Because in the beginning, a lot of it is going to be managing how you feel, managing that distress that comes up in your body, that fight, flight, freeze, where you are going to feel a lot of body sensations. Your heart rate might increase. Your voice may shake. You may be terrified. And the more that you can do to continue to push through that discomfort, the stronger you're going to get and the better you are going to be able to handle that discomfort. And for some resources, remember, you can go back to that episode I did that's all about how to handle your emotions. It'll walk you through exactly how to process your emotions. And you may still have physiological body sensations that hang around even after you have that hard conversation. You may leave that conversation and feel sick still and need to move through and work through those feelings in your body. I want you to know that you can do that. And running from that hard conversation, continuing to people, please, continuing to say yes to someone or something when you want to say no, avoiding that boundary because a lot of times people pleasing is all within the context of setting boundaries is not going to set you up for the life you want in the future. You are trading temporary comfort for a future where you're not having that relationship with someone 
or you're not going to be able to enjoy being around them because you can't speak your truth or you can't take care of yourself because you can't set that boundary with someone. So that's what I want you to think about. That is an important context. You get better the more you do it. You get stronger. You can learn to tolerate the discomfort. Maybe even practice the mantra, I can do hard things. I can tolerate the discomfort of saying no in this moment, and I will get stronger as a result. I hope this podcast was helpful. I know we bounced around for a lot of things. As always, let me know what topics you'd like me to cover. I would love to hear from you. You can send me a DM on Instagram at my handle, Therapy for Women, or call into the podcast, 813-444-8683. I would love to hear your questions. I typically try to do an episode where I just answer your questions every couple months. And I also use the questions as inspiration for different podcast episodes. So hope you have a great day. Hope this is helpful and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. To suggest an episode topic or support my work, visit amandaewhite.com. If you're interested in getting therapy from my practice, visit therapyforwomencenter.com. We're based in Philadelphia, but we have therapists serving 27 states across the country. 